From McKinsey & Company Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, I'm Sean Brown, and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. Today, we continue our Bias Buster series, specifically how executives can avoid falling prey to cognitive and organizational biases that can get in the way of good decision-making. Joining me today in our New York office is McKinsey partner Tim Kohler, and Dan Lavallo, a former McKinsey consultant and professor of business strategy at the University of Sydney. Today, they will discuss the most recent article in their series, Resisting the Allure of Glamour Projects. Dan is a co-author of this piece along with Iskander Amanov and Aaron DeSmet. Tim, Dan, welcome. Dan, it might be helpful just to start off with an example of what you're talking about, distinguishing between this notion of bright, shiny objects and so-called unremarkable projects. Well. My favorite example is when you've got a big oil field, Yes, there are a number of things that have to be done. And one of them is drilling for new resources, oil or gas. And that's exciting. And if you find the oil or the gas, the person in charge of the exploration, big kudos to him or her. Now, There's another thing that has to be done in a big oil field, and that's maintenance. You've got to maintain the wells. You've got to make sure that nothing untoward happens, Mm -hmm. but not so glamorous. A lot of downside risk, right? It's not... Yeah, the best that can happen is nothing. So (laughs) that's your upside. (laughs) And frequently, those two necessary activities are completely separated and the way to go forward in the company is to be a great explorer not so much great maintenance so that creates a problem and has created some issues that that we all know about at the end of this podcast we're going to talk about some ways to overcome it but this kind of problem isn't just limited to my favorite example in oil and gas Tim can talk a bit about how this generalizes to many more types of projects. Yes, thanks, Dan. The way this generalizes is that when companies typically evaluate either projects, like say maintenance projects, or a performance of a business unit, Mm -hmm. right? They typically make the assumption that if they don't make an investment, that things will go along business as usual. And therefore, they end up with the assumption that, let's say, a maintenance project has a zero present value, okay? Or a business unit's value is, you know, steady state kind of thing. The reality is, in many of these cases, if you don't make the right decisions and make the right investments, either that project or that unit will decline in performance, Mm -hmm. right? But it's often not acceptable to show a base case, which is a decline. So the base case is almost always a steady state, and therefore the investments that keep it at steady state don't show up as creating any value. And that's really the source of a lot of the issue with respect to the focusing on the new versus the maintenance or the old, if you you will, in, in some situations. And that's a mindset that has to change. The other thing you find is that we get into this mode where then companies simply say, all maintenance projects have, maybe they have to get done even though they don't have a return. Well, that's a bad way of thinking about it as well. So it's a discipline to sort of say, we need to think about the base case much more 
seriously and be willing to acknowledge that there is a base case where if we don't do the investment, the performance deteriorates and sometimes substantially. Sure. So is this principally an issue for companies with large capital bases and large capital expenditures, or are there other situations where these glamour projects? Uh, no, it, I mean, it certainly would apply in those situations. That's a clear example of the one that Dan laid out in the, in the oil and gas business. But it would also apply you know, even in the tech world, for mm-hmm. example, as technology is changing, sometimes you have to make investments or make strategic decisions in order to just to keep up. And so once again, the base case is not continuing along. Uh, working with one company now, you know, they've got a forecast that you know, is a nice steady increase without any additional investment spending. And this is a tech-related company, mm-hmm. right? Very fast growing right now. But there's a lot of new competitive entrants. And the reality of it is if they don't accelerate their investments in the next generation of ways of doing things, that the proper base case is going to, you know, is, is really a decline in the business. So you do see it in all kinds of places and different manifestations. So what are some of the tips and tricks that you'd offer our listeners in terms of better valuing these maintenance approaches? You talked about how a lot of times companies just assume that the base case is going to be steady state. Are there any specific techniques that you've seen employed that help avert that? One of the techniques is to make sure that different parts of the organizations aren't necessarily operating in silos so that decisions are made where people who are doing maintenance things understand what's going on with the faster growing businesses and vice versa so people Mm -hmm. can understand more what it's all about. Another thing that you can do is, once again, the CEO has to take the lead in saying, we're no longer going to accept the base case being business as usual. There are base cases where the business is declining or the project is going to destroy some value because we're not spending enough money on maintenance, for example. It is essential to sort of have that kind of mindset built into the organization where we're always looking at what would really happen if we didn't spend this money. How do you tie this to the notion of, you know, the financial planning and analysis folks and the depreciation charges that companies are taking on their capital base? Yeah, depreciation is a very crude, but sometimes it can be very useful. It's a rare business that doesn't have to spend enough money on depreciation to keep the assets in good shape. There's one industry I've come across, which is the pipeline industry. Okay. You put a pipeline in the ground. And you're improving. Right. And you consider let it sit there for 20 or 30 years without really spending much money. Okay. There aren't too many businesses like that. Okay. Right. Most companies, any kind of factory, any kind of hotel or retail store or whatever, if you don't continually keep that thing up to date, in the case of a factory, the performance will decline. In the case of a retail store or a hotel store, the customers will notice it. Uh, and the, 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 the business will decline because of that. So it applies across the board just in different ways. And so does depreciation typically match the investment? Or is there some way that they can set financial charges to capture this notion of the, the positive value that this maintenance contributes to the, to the company's yeah, bottom is, line? You know, depreciation is sort of a crude metric. If yeah. you're spending less than depreciation, you might want to be worried. Right. If you're spending much more but not growing, you want to be worried as well. It's a little bit too crude, though, to make, you know, it's a starting point, maybe. It's not sufficient. You know, really need to look at 
the business sort of much more bottoms up to make the right decisions. Once again, you don't want to be anchored in the past, right? You want to be thinking about the future. So once again, bottom up, you know, the people who are closest to those assets presumably often will know what needs to get done or when something needs to get done and that you need to have a mechanism where you can hear their voices so that you can take that into consideration as you're making your investment decisions. And one of the mechanisms from the oil and gas example earlier is really quite simple and I think somewhat ingenious, which is the committees in most oil and gas companies, there'll be an exploration committee and a maintenance committee okay. and different people oversee those. And this leads to underinvestment maintenance because there are more senior people on the exploration committee, etc. So what one company did and this company's had a great safety record, is have overlapping committee members. This allowed them to more easily balance out investments in maintenance and exploration because the committee members that overlapped that were on the exploration committee but also sat on the maintenance committee could tell the needs of maintenance and had an easier way to argue to the leader of the field you know, they really need this money. And overlapping committees are a way to get more information to the top in a more direct manner, generally. And in this case, really helped the maintenance budget went up. So why doesn't everybody do this? Well, why doesn't everybody dunk like LeBron James? <laughs> you know, some people are better than others. <laughs> So Are there specific? A, is this something that uh, that comes from the CEO? Like, uh, what, what was you know in the example that you just shared, yeah. Dan? What was what was the um, you know the precursor? What led to like whose epiphany was it that they said we want to put these people on overlapping committees? There were two things. One, they had noticed other companies having issues that were due to underinvestment and maintenance. Okay. And one of the heads of the fields came up with this idea and uh, did it in one field. And then the, the CEO said, we're going to do this in all the fields. So this actually came from, you know, the head of the field is pretty high up in a uh, oil and gas company, but not the highest, but had the idea, did it. And the CEO recognized it as a good idea. And that's what they did, spread it throughout the company. Any other suggestions for how executive teams can avoid this issue? Differential preferences for investment that can lead to underinvestment in some projects can be attacked in a few ways. One of the ways is to take personality out of the system. So one company, when people are proposing projects, they're allowed to propose projects, let's say the head of the BU or a division, they propose the projects and they put them in writing. And when the allocation decision is made, they're not in the room. They put it in writing, the CEO, the CFO, and the head of technology make the decision without anyone else. Wow. And so you don't get the head of the most glamorous division or the head of the biggest division or somebody who's been there longest arguing for their project face to face. And that really 
makes a big push toward objectivity. And I would recommend that it's not going to happen, but I would recommend that to all companies. Having the BU heads in there is something that can work, but you're risking politics that may favor one business over another. Jim? Yeah, and I have seen the situations where by making the investment decision-making process more systematic, even if you don't go so far as to take them out of the room, prior to the meeting, there's a corporate team that will put together what they think is the right investment decisions or the right reallocation as a baseline, which may be different than what the individuals want. But they're looking at it from the perspective of the company as a whole. They're doing sort of what Dan is saying, but they're like acting as the staff that puts together that recommendation for those top executives. And that becomes the starting point from which people might have to argue a change as opposed to starting at a different level. Any final thoughts you'd like to share before we close out our session? I think people should think a lot more about overlapping committees (laughs) because it's real simple. Think about where you need it and focus on, it can either be things that you think are underinvested in, but they can also serve useful purposes if you think different businesses are preferred for non-objective reasons. Tim, Dan, thanks for joining us today. For a full transcript of today's episode and links to all of our past podcasts, check out our page on mckinsey.com under the Strategy and Corporate Finance section. While there, you'll also find the other articles in our Bias Buster series. And if you'd like to receive updates on all of our new content, you can sign up for email updates on our website or follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again for joining us today.